Hey, podcast people. Tony Stark here. The show is called Re-MCU. These guys had the brilliant idea to do something no one else has. Rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talk about it. Top-notch idea, fellas. Congrats. Anyway, let's see what brilliant thoughts come from this. Take it away, boys. Welcome back to another episode of Re-MCU, re-watching and revisiting the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Hi, and we are uh, film critics from CineSnob. Uh, you may have heard us on our other podcast, the CineSnob Podcast, and Quarantstream. Uh, this is our show where we are talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and going through each film one by one and... Uh, uh, you know, kind of looking back at what we thought about it then and, and what we think about it now. And today's movie is probably the first, uh, I mentioned this on the last episode, Cody, of uh, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, this one, Guardians of the Galaxy, is the first real giant swing mm-hmm. for Marvel. Yeah. In, in that this is the one that was not part of, um, it was not set on Earth, frankly, and it had the weirdest sort of elements to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, that being, namely, uh, Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. And uh, Groot, the tree man. So Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's the first test to see if this Marvel machine could produce something completely out there based on reputation alone. Um, because it, you know, it, it, and I mean reputation of Marvel, because it didn't have the star power, really. You know, the biggest actor in the in the cast is playing a raccoon, and it's a voice, right? The most famous actor. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so it didn't have a lot of star power, um, unlike Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America, and, and, and the Hulk, and the like. You know, characters that weren't really known outside of comic book fans. You know, the Guardians of the Galaxy were not household names at that time. And, um, you know, I remember distinctively a couple things. I remember the concept art leaking for Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're seeing, you know, Groot and Rocket and and just going, what the hell is this? Like, how is this going to work? Like, how is this talking raccoon going? Like, is this a bridge too far for Marvel? And, um, and also talking with my uncle, who is a big comic book guy. And, um, and both of us sort of predicting that this would be the first Marvel bomb. Like this would be the first movie where, uh, it just didn't work. People weren't interested. Um, you know, it doesn't have the household names, like we said, of the characters, and uh, and it was a true test to see, you know, if the work that they had done, you know, with the Avengers did indeed pave the way to do something like this that was completely unique um, and didn't have a built in audience. So we're going to we we're talking about where the where the MCU was at this point. We just finished up with uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So we had just finished up our second sort of trilogy of the big three characters uh, post Avengers. So we had Iron Man three, we had Thor, the dark world, and we had Captain America, the winter soldier. So the next step for these three was, uh, Avengers age of Ultron. Uh, meanwhile, here we are in guardians of the galaxy, which is basically a side quest, if you will. Like it's not exactly, um, I mean, it's totally, it, it, we talked about this a little bit last time, but it's, if, if they needed to, had Marvel needed to, they could have just cut this thing off and forgotten about it. Yes. So I'm assuming that was by design, just in case, you know, this grand experiment didn't work and it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't going to tarnish the other films in the series, uh, you know, as, as, as much as these bombs can affect, you know, the performance or uh, as much as a potential bomb can affect future things. However, it turned out to be anything but a bomb and, uh, ended up being the third highest grossing movie of 2014, uh, ahead of even Captain America, the winter soldier beating, beaten only by, uh, transformers age of extinction and the Hobbit battle of the five armies, which Mm -hmm. is, um, a pretty impressive thing to do. You know, I I don't want to say from scratch, but for all intents and purposes, this was from scratch. Like no one really knew who these people, who the characters were. 
Yeah, and and and, and we'll get into this in t- when we get into like the style of the movie and the tone. But it's it's the first movie um, post Avengers, and really, honestly, outside of Joss Whedon um, and uh, in in the in in that movie, where it feels like they're bringing on a director to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one of the things that Marvel is sort of famous for is being able to bring in any director into the machine and be able to churn something out. You know, like the Russo brothers don't have a distinctive voice or style, but they're able to kind of step in and seamlessly create multiple great movies because just the Marvel machine works so well. Whereas, you know, with the Avengers with with Joss Whedon, with this film with James Gunn, with, you know, Thor Ragnarok, with Taika Waititi, like there are there are small instances where marvel is truly letting a creator run with it and this is a you know the next big example of that yeah and uh this of course is directed by james gunn who at the time was known well not really known at all i think kind of mainstream but had made some smaller movies like slither Mm -hmm. uh and super right he did super as well with uh rain wilson and um uh, what is her name? Ellen Page. Ellen Page, yes. Um, so this was a big swing for him. Uh, you know, this is a big swing all around for Marvel, I think, kind of entrusting it to James Gunn. And uh, you mentioned that he beat out some other directors. Yeah. Uh, so um, so the uh, the directors that, you know, James Gunn had, had, had been considered along with um, Peyton Reed, um, who ended up coming back for um, for Ant Man, and also uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who came back and did uh, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, future MCU directors um, with uh, you know with with kind of that kind of ver- like varying backgrounds. You know, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck up until that point had only really done dramas, and Peyton Reed. Um, you know, eventually got to do a comedy adjacent movie. I don't. I don't think the partic- that first Ant Man is particularly successful in in the comedy thing. Right. We'll get to that when we get to it. But um. But yeah, and and I know that um, uh, this Joss Whedon was still under contract to consult with all of the movies leading up to Age of Ultron, and I know that that you know allegedly Joss Whedon was a big James Gunn fan, and um. And, and was really supportive in um, in, in the hiring of, of Gunn, um, which, at, at, again, at the time, you know, James Gunn's movies, if you've seen any of them, I've only seen Super, um, but it's, it's a really edgier tone, um, especially with that movie. And it's kind of, I, from what I understand, Slither was, a, was like, a, a, like, you know, a B-movie kind of atmosphere and vibe. So it wasn't a natural fit, honestly. Well, I mean, he was a trauma guy, if you're aware of trauma. That's right, yeah. Um, and he um, he uh, kind of famously wrote uh, a movie called Tromeo and Juliet, uh-huh. which I actually saw in um, 1995. And I think it there's like a scene where someone's eating Juliet's guts. Like it's, I mean, it's just, it's vile. Trauma is kind of known for that, though. It's like, you know, really out there horror stuff. And, um, you know, this is not really a, um, you know, it doesn't, it feels like it's wouldn't be the right fit for this sort of machine that had become at this point. But yeah. Um, yeah, again, so as we mentioned, it was, it was by all accounts, I think the biggest risk at the time in the MCU that was, uh, that was on the plate. And I don't really know that there's been a risk as big a risk since then. I don't think, I think it's, it's all like, I think once that hit big, it was kind of all gravy. I agree to an extent. I think that the tone of Thor Ragnarok is a huge swing. Um, yeah. In, 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 in making that like a pure absurdist comedy, which ultimately at the end of the day, I feel like I, uh, that's my takeaway from that more than being like a superhero movie is, is the absurdist comedy in it. And like, you know, just the fact that you're putting Jeff Goldblum in as a <laughs> and then like letting him be Jeff Goldblum and not like stripping that down at all and playing into the weirdness of it all. I think yeah. that's the closest thing to come to it probably. Um, though I, th- I think that the swings are going to be coming here with phase four. Um, you yeah. know, you've got some other stuff that has, that's, you know, lesser known that has the potential to be 
um, you know, some different swings. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, Marvel has kept it relatively safe with the exception of, you know, this and maybe Ragnarok. We talked about James Gunn being kind of an outsider on this. Let's talk about the cast because there's a bunch of you've got a bunch of stuff here that I had kind of forgotten about uh, the people that were, uh, you know, ult- considered for this film before the cast they ultimately went with. So um, obviously Star-Lord, the main character is played by uh, Chris Pratt, who at that point was uh, on uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. This is such a fascinating casting to me. So in a minute, I'll go through the the actors that could have played him. But you know, I was I was and remain a massive Parks and Rec fan, mm-hmm. and my favorite part about Parks and Rec was Chris Pratt. You know, Chris. If you haven't seen Parks and Rec, Chris played Andy Dwyer, who was like who actually started off as being like a really unlikable guy and like like jerk. Uh, boyfriend of uh, Rashida Jones's character in season one and was only meant to be there for a couple of episodes and eventually they liked him so much and he was so good at it that he uh, he ended up sticking around and they changed the arc and turned him into just like lovable oaf um, yeah I mean well that that first season is a very um, very embryonic version of the show that it ultimately yeah. became yeah um and so I was a, I was a huge fan of Chris Pratt and thought he was like the funniest guy in the world um, at that time and uh, and it was interesting seeing tweets like from Mike Schur, the creator of Parks and Rec, you know, saying stuff like like tweeting before he got you know this movie, tweeting like Chris Pratt will someday be a movie star and stuff like that. But the funny thing about Chris Pratt is that he was really pudgy, like he was <laughs> yeah. like he was not like leading uh, leading Hollywood guy you know that's what he always wanted to be but it never worked out for him and so he auditioned for this movie and you know if you read about it he initially turned it down um you know he he, there was some question as to whether or not he could do it you know he was yo-yo dieting a bit like gaining and losing weight he ended up losing 60 pounds in six months to do this movie um and uh and he always had like the person he had like the great personality for it a great sense of humor and a great tone but like nobody had ever you know parks and rec was his big break and this kind of open you know blew open the doors for him um so some of the other people that were considered for this just listen to this list of people so uh joel edgerton jack okay. houston wow jim sturgis eddie redmayne all signed deals to test for the role as well as Lee Pace. Okay, who Zach- ends up as Ronan in the movie. Who okay. ends up as Ronan. Uh, Zachary Levi, Joseph okay. Gordon-Levitt, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, and John Gallagher Jr. I don't... Who is John Gallagher Jr.? I don't know who that he is. is. He is the boyfriend in Short Term 12. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, he was from the newsroom. Yes, yeah. Um, man, so... Yeah, that is a uh, quite a cat. Michael Rosenbaum and um, 
uh, Jack Houston are some interesting choices. Yeah, yeah. And then you have, like, like nobody would want to see Eddie Redmayne in that role. Like, <laughs> it's just, I cannot <laughs> picture that or picture wanting that at all. Um, but but you can see that, uh, you know, that, that Pratt was an interesting choice because, you know, he, unless you were a Parks and Rec fan, he had been, he had done bit parts. Like, I think by that point, he had he had done, like, Moneyball and Zero Dark Thirty, but those yeah. were you know character uh, character roles, and they just thrust him, having never really led a movie before, into a leading role, and it was a, it was a you know it's a risk for sure. Yeah, for, no, and, and it, you know he's kind of got the right like comedy stylings for it. Yeah. I don't know that uh, you know he's he's uh, been put in a lot more films since then. And I don't know that they've been successful um, getting his his true talent. I mean, he's he's obviously the lead in the new Jurassic World series. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work so much in that series? It worked <laughs> it worked okay in Magnificent Seven, I think. Oh yeah, I forgot I liked that movie. All right, that's a decent movie. Um, yeah, and then uh, um, you know, trying to to turn him into a, a normal movie star and stuff like uh, Passengers. Yeah, um, didn't really work out. So, um, but he's got he's got that very like in this movie he's got a very like Han Solo is the big comparison. Sure, that's sort of like 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 cocky but sarcastic, um, you know, kind of guy. You know, and, and I, I we would be remiss to to leave this out that also in 2014 he was Emmett Burkowski in the Lego Movie. That's right. Which. Um, it's a great performance by him. A great vocal performance. It, it truly is. I love. I love his vocal perform or his voice performance in uh, in, in that movie. He really adds a lot to it. Yeah, I, and um, so so let's move on. Uh, Zoe Saldana as uh, Gamora, mm-hmm. um, which uh, apparently um, was uh, going to be uh, originally like a motion a performance capture thing. Mm-hmm. Or something. I, I don't know. I, I I like Zoe Saldana a lot. I just don't know that there's anything. This role is. This character has always been kind of one note to me. I agree. Yeah. Um. You know. I actually I, feel I, the same about Drax. I just think that Dave Bautista is really good in it. Not that yeah. Zoe Saldana is not good, but th- they're two kind of one-dimensional characters. Yeah. I, I. You know. I. I don't think that there's much to her except being angry. Um, you know, I really like Zoe Saldana as an actress, but I just don't think that the role is is as meaty as it should be. Yeah. Um, and then so then uh, Dave Bautista as Drax, um, I, probably the only guy who looks way better bald than with hair. Like, have you seen him with hair? Like, he just doesn't look right. Yeah. Like his head is too small or something. You mean of the people who can still grow hair? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, he's he he looks much better bald. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is a this is a character I think works really well in the scheme of the movie. Yeah, I guess the the idea behind Drax is that he's um, entirely literal. Yes. So you, like the jokes don't land with him and things like that. And yeah, and another thing where again, you know, Dave Batista again for people who don't know, you know, was a professional wrestler for many many years, and um, and and you know, started acting in, in, in the mid two thousands, but again, hadn't really had a part this big. Um, again, another risky kind of casting. And if you want to know who was being considered for that, um, I had that in front of me. Uh, Oh yeah. So in addition to Dave Batista, um, they also considered Isaiah Mustafa, um, who, uh, who was like the uh, old spice commercial guy. Okay. Um, Jason Momoa, all right. And uh and Brian Patrick Wade. I don't know who that is. Uh he's a he's a mostly a TV actor. He played muscular guy in the show Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked that show okay enough. Oh, do you remember Muscular Guy? I don't remember Muscular Guy. I do remember Las Vegas though. Oh, well, I remember one ep- it um one, ep- one episode arc for him. <laughs> it had a um a uh sort of unspoken crossover with heroes. Oh yeah. Anyway, to move yeah, on. Yeah. So uh, so they were uh, they were looking for big hunks. Uh. <laughs> um, so moving on to the the kind of just voice performances. 
Um, you have uh, Vin Diesel as Groot. Yeah. Which is kind of a giant stunt, I would assu- I would say. Yes. Um, you know, I, I have nothing against Vin Diesel, um, but, you know, the, the whole point is that his voice is deep and he says three words ever. Um, the, uh, then, then another one that I was kind of surprised by how much I liked it is Bradley Cooper as Rocket. So this is when we get to talking about the movie itself, the biggest surprise for me upon rewatch at mm-hmm. how how good he is and how well the character works. Um, which, uh, you know, he gets to be... It, so first of all, it's a great voice performance in that it doesn't really sound like Bradley Cooper. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty transformative voice, which I really appreciate because, you know, so many times in these movies, people are just kind of giving their own voices and... And um, and Bradley Cooper kind of does a lot of uh, changes to his voice to where you can't necessarily tell that it's him, um, but also the way that Rocket is is written, you know, uh, like like uh, th- there's a, there's a story arc <laughs> for him in in the movie that never worked for me until this rewatch. Um, but also he gets to be really funny. He's he's kind of like the like the really like uh, grouchy one of the bunch. Uh, and uh, a, a really great voice performance. Yeah, and I, and, I think... Um, and I'm sorry, yeah. no, notably um, played by Sean Gunn uh, for performance capture. Right, on this... Yeah, Sean Gunn, who has a small role as um, a, a, a side... Uh, not a... As a sort of a sidekick. Um, you have Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser. Not um, a great villain. Not a great villain, but also notably was... Um, the villain um or one of the villains in um captain marvel yes captain marvel which is set before this yeah um karen gillen as nebula again i think is a little bit fares a little better than uh zoe saldana um still kind of one note i think the character her i think that character grows way more in future movies than zoe saldana's does 100 percent, yeah for sure um you know, she is the uh, also. They're they're both playing adopted daughters of Thanos, and I guess she's sort of a cyborg robot. I don't really know what she's supposed to be. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, and then uh, you've got um, Michael Rooker as Yandu Udanta. Yeah. Um, who it should be said was a guest on our Cinestump podcast the weekend this movie came out. Yes. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, we'll, we'll, we'll um, maybe uh, republish it here when we publish this one too. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you and I managed to swing him as a guest on the show. Literally the weekend this movie came out, he was in San Antonio for a Comic-Con. And also, the, uh, the our podcast was very young at that point. We had only been doing it for a few months. Yeah, because our first movie we covered was uh, was Days of Fu- X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. Which also came out in 2014. So, yeah, we um, I, I like got a hold of his manager somehow. I don't even remember how I did it. And she's like, yeah, come get him. Send a car for him. I'm like, all right, I'll pick him up in my shitty car <laughs> that he made fun of the whole time. It was so great. It was, that was a crazy, crazy experience. I, I can't like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny that it, ha- that it even happened to begin with, but like the circumstances that surrounded it, like, like the, the ball busting that went on, like he was exactly what you thought he would be in the best possible way. Like he was good on the podcast. He was, he wasn't like a, he wasn't, um, uh, like standoffish. I thought he was, he was a really, you know, personable guy. Like it was like everything surrounding it was just a crazy, crazy experience. Yeah. And, and, and the week that it opened. <laughs> yeah. It's the weekend, like the weekend it opened. And by the way, the weekend where it's a box office smash exceeding all expectations. Yeah. Too. And I think it was like Sunday morning. Yeah. And uh, you and I showed up at the, at the, what is that hotel? Oh, the Hyatt. The Hyatt, like the nice Hyatt right by the convention center. And <laughs> just like we're waiting in the lobby for him. And as he's walking by, I just yelled his name. <laughs> it was so strange. Yeah. It was surreal. And then he's like, he talked about like how all people are like, you could be any geek in any city. <laughs> like it all ran together for him. <laughs> and I, <laughs> like some some assistant came with him like some some one of his manager's assistants or something i think it was like a bodyguard wasn't it 
Oh no, that dude was no bodyguard. Oh, I thought I thought he was his, like his security guy. Oh no no no, it was it was one of the one of the team like his oh, management okay. team, uh, like a PR person. Okay, but I think he was just there to not to make sure we didn't kidnap <laughs> kidnap Michael Rooker. <laughs> not that he couldn't have kicked both of our asses. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, um, he plays Yandu Adanta, who's um, one of the Ravagers, basically the um, the people that picked up Peter Quill um, from Earth. Again, um, I, I really like him in this movie, and I like Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker in general, um, and I I'm going to get into something that won't pay off until later, but I think I think James Gunn has a real problem not telegraphing his story beats well enough yeah that you, that you know yes i know backs- exactly what you're talking about these backs yeah these backstories about these characters that he seems to be adamant that are are present mm-hmm. um and we'll talk about that a little later in this episode but uh, y- uh, yondu is one of those characters that suffers that yeah um but anyway um so then there's some some other smaller roles that are um uh, kind of interesting. You have uh, John C. Riley as uh, Roman Day, uh, uh, part of the Nova Corps. Yeah, when we is- get into the tone of the movie, there's Do- John C. Riley has my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Yes, and then you have uh, Glenn Close, um, who's the leader of the Nova Corps, who clearly know- doesn't know what movie she's in. Look, man, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then you have uh, Benicio del Toro as. Uh, the collector, aka Tanelier Tivon, who first appeared in uh, the post-credits scene for Thor: The Dark World, mm-hmm. um, and here is um, um, we kind of fleshed out a little bit more into the weirdness that it is. I, I've never really quite understood the character. No, uh, it's it's one of those like weird for the sake of being weird type things. I think. Yeah, um, he's got like a platinum blonde hair and. Um, has a collection of a bunch of sh- shit. So, yeah, um, yeah. So that's the cast. Um, you've also got, um, like we said, we've got you've got Sean Gunn kicking around. Uh, you've also got Josh Brolin. Um, I want to say he's the. Is this the first time he did Thanos? It is. I, yeah, it is. Gamora, surgically modified and trained as a living weapon, the adopted daughter of the Mad Titan Thanos. Recently, Thanos lent her and her sister Nebula out to Ronin, which leads us to believe that Thanos and Ronin are working together. Subject 89P13 calls itself Rocket, the result of illegal genetic and cybernetic experiments on a lower life form. What the hell? They call it Groot, a humanoid plant that's been traveling recently as 89P13's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill from Terra, raised from youth by a band of mercenaries called the Ravagers, led by Yandu Udanta. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. What a bunch of a-holes. Transport all four to the kiln. Okay, so I had not seen this movie since the initial watch. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why I never revisited it. So, I remember very distinctly... Um, we there was the screening of this movie was at embassy yep so in your stomping grounds yes, and i sir. remember having a god-awful headache oh. watching the movie so it really tainted my opinion of it like at the moment but once i thought about it and once i kind of um revisited it in my mind i i had a way higher uh, opinion of it but but what did you think the first time you saw it when I, the first time I saw it, I, th- I, I liked it a lot. Um, I think that it, it it had some problems, and I think it suffers a little bit from trying too hard occasionally, um, especially with the humor piece. It feels a little shoehorned at times. Um, and, and I also feel like this sort of, um, you know, I think it has a great soundtrack, but the way it, you know, tries to f- be like a sort of like a 70s, the 70s type of stuff, like being in a time capsule type thing. Um, felt a little forced to me too, um, for whatever reason, like the, like the nostalgia factor to it. Um, but I liked it. I mean, I, I, pr- I think I probably gave it like a B or something um, and um, and walked away, you know, being really happy that Chris Pratt was like on his way to superstardom, um, being such a huge fan of his um, and, and happy to be wrong about it being a bit of a, like me thinking it would bomb. 
Yeah, um, I I did uh, really enjoy it um, thinking about it later because it is so different and it does have quite a bit of, um, I don't know that you'd call it absurdist humor, but there are some really great lines in it. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a little bit ago the John C. Riley line. Yeah. Which is... Remind me of what what so, you're thinking. So it so John C. Riley comes in to talk to Glenn Close and and uh, and says um, uh, like he like and, and he relays a message that Quill said that he's he's he may be an a hole but he's not a total dick. Uh, and um, and then Glenn Close is like, do you believe him? And 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 he says something. Well, I don't know that anyone's a hundred percent a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I and I think uh, that's a that's a great line. There's also a great line that you mentioned previously um, about a Jackson Pollock, the Jackson Pollock. So yeah, this um, this movie has probably the dirtiest joke of any Marvel movie. It's again, I think it's tied for that with the, with the line in Thor Ragnarok. And there's oh. also there's also a great one in Age of Ultron, actually. <laughs> Uh, that actually is really funny if you remember oh, that one. Man, I don't remember that one, but this is uh, this is like the kind of most explicit sex joke. I well, think. can I tell you the Age of Ultron one a little early because I don't want to forget? Yeah, go ahead because I don't remember it. There's a scene where uh, <laughs> where uh, where Tony Stark is saying something and, and referencing and or either trying to talk to Bruce Banner or referencing him and asks him if he's playing hide the zucchini. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't think that's dirtier. Do you really? This is a this is a fucking cum joke. Yeah, but this is a big green dick joke. <laughs> yeah, I think cum is bigger than a, I think cum is dirtier than a than a than a green than a green dick joke. Yeah, but there is some. Uh, all right, fine. I agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you can look. I think you can um, kind of laugh away that one as a little more innocent. But this is literally. Uh, uh, I think uh, is it Gamora talks about Peter Quill's ship, the Milano, named after Alyssa Milano. Yeah, there's a nostalgia thing kicking in. Uh, being very really filthy, and he mentions I can't remember to who. I think it, I think Drax. That if you took a black light to the room, it would look or took it to it, it would look like a Jackson Pollock painting, <laughs> which means there's jizz splattered all over the walls. <laughs> yeah. So that's a very dirty joke. Um, I'm kind of impressed that it made it into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, what was I? Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, it's there's some some really funny stuff. Like I think um, there's a, a great scene um, where the, after they've all been captured on Nova Prime, where uh, they're all kind of assessing who they are. Like they first really meet up and start talking, and. Uh, uh, Quill calls Rocket a raccoon. He says, "What's a raccoon?" He says, "It's what you are, stupid." <laughs> uh-huh. Which is a great line. And um, I, look, so it's hard to kind of, to me, uh, forget about a time when, when this wasn't kind of a thing because this has become like this movie became massive. Yeah, and immediately upon. Uh, its release became huge and like it already has its own ride at Disneyland. Yeah. It's crazy. And is, it has a lot, has a ride in construction currently at Disney world. So it's, um, you know, there's not, there's not a captain America ride. There's not an Iron Man ride. There's just guardians of the galaxy right now. Yeah. And it's super impressive that it's something that, you know, it, it, it it's hard to imagine a time when it didn't come out like fully formed. Yeah, that is that is crazy to think about. And actually, but let's just talk about the movie a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I would say upon rewatch, I thought it was good, but not great. Um, I, I it's it doesn't stand out to me as much as it maybe previously did. And I think the you know the the bit that you're talking about where they all meet up, I think that that section kind of drags a little bit. Um. But there is some really great humor stuff in it. Like the thing, the the rocket thing with the guy's leg is one of the funniest <laughs> things in the, in the movie. Um, and I think that, you know, what what happens, what I found happening to the in the movie is that I was gravitating towards certain characters and others I didn't care about at all. 
you know, I I don't think that Gamora is a particularly interesting character. Um, I think that Batista and, and Drax, I think that Drax is, is a one-note character. I think that this note is funny in this movie, um, and I think that it works, um, but but it is one note. I don't think Groot really makes much of an impact either, uh, quite honestly. The things that I found myself attaching myself to were, you know, I think Chris Pratt's performance is great, and um, and I really like what he brings to the table. I think that Rocket has a great arc. You know, the fact that, you know, Rocket sees himself as, like, an experiment, um, and, and others see him as an experiment and a freak, and he, you know, is really trying to defend himself against that and has trust issues and, um, and, and then kind of, you know, is the one who kind of, uh, you know, sort of begrudgingly becomes part of this group together i think is a really great storyline and i think rocket ends up being like the mvp of the movie and having the most successful storyline and one that i it's a lot better than i remember um i think the tone of the movie for the most part like i said i think there's some trying too hard bits um in terms of the humor i think a lot of it does work but i do think that there's moments where it's trying to be subversive and, and strange um i think it's got a pretty lame villain with ronan I I, I don't think that Ronan really adds anything to the table whatsoever, Um, especially when you start getting into the Thanos stuff. So this is the first real appearance of Thanos as we come to know him, um, especially with Josh Brolin doing the voice and then, you know, figuring out the relationship that Ronan and and um, and and Thanos have eventually, you know, leading to what we see towards at the in the stinger of uh, Age of Ultron, where Thanos, instead of having other people do his bidding, (laughs) you know, decides to do it himself. So it's, it's the first thing, this is the first thing that starts nudging you specifically towards, you know, Thanos and the infinity gauntlet. Um, so that is an interesting thing, um, for sure to, um, you know, to see unfold. Um, but I think that it's, it's, you know, I think it settles into some, some pretty predictable story beats too. And like the action beats, you know, I, I think, again, I think that what people respond to is the, the weirdness and the tone of it being like in like James Gunn's voice sticking out and, and what I think is otherwise a pretty standard, you know, comic book flick. Um, and I think the thing that sticks out the most is just the way that it subverts, you know, the characterizations and, and the characters specifically. Right. And I think it's, um, you know, that was enough, I think in sure. that it wasn't, you know, because it was, um, it was something that, you know, was a big diff, but was a big swing. And I think having it be, um, you know, a little kind of safe and, and, you know, this is the biggest sort of buddy movie, uh, not buddy movie. What am I trying to say? Ensemble movie, uh, of the Marvel of the MCU. Like you, you've got Avengers. Sure. You've got that stuff, but this is the, this is the first one that has a real ensemble in it yeah. from the get go. And I think you get a pretty even, take on everyone in it that is um you know as to who they are and uh what they what they what they bring to the table like i you know like we said there's there's characters that fare better than others i think the love interest stuff between i've never really quite liked the love interest stuff between uh star lord and gamora Mm -hmm. it feels a little forced um and of course that becomes a major a major uh, plot detail in Avengers Infinity War. Um, yeah. Kind of a major turning point for the plot. Um, that said, I, I do want to talk about um, James Gunn a little bit here. And what I hinted at earlier yeah. in the character motivations and the characterizations that come with these, these characters. So, you know, R- Rocket, I think... I agree with you as the breakout character. Um, but a lot of the uh, love fan wise was paid to Groot. Um, and at the end of the film, Groot sacrifices himself for, you know, to save the rest of the team as the ship is crashing. He envelops them in a, you know, a like a branch basket. I don't know what you call it. And ends up dying in the process, but you know, in a in at the beginning of the credits, you see that that there's a little sapling of Groot in a potted plant aboard the ship. Mm-hmm. 
which literally everyone I think coming out of the movie theater was like, "Oh, he lived. He just has to grow up again." Yeah. Well, no, James Gunn is adamant that that is a different Groot. His son, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, that he's a, that that's not Groot. That it, yeah, it, I don't know. It's not. Guess, it's not the same Groot in Guardians One, right? Which, first of all, no, like no one, no one bought that, and and no one's even behaving like that in the movie. Yeah, like even in the second movie, no one's behaving like this is a different person, and uh, this is something that that doesn't really, like, it doesn't track, and I, I don't get why, like, because because. I think more so than any filmmaker, James Gunn is identified like 100% with this film series. Uh, so much so that when he got fired and then re- before he got rehired, like there was talks of the cast revolting and not doing the movie. Mm-hmm. But like people on Twitter, like he, he seems to make these proclamations, I think on Facebook even, not even Twitter, that no, you're wrong. This is, baby Groot is is a baby Groot. He's not the same Groot like well no you didn't write it that way man like that's not how it came across in the movie at all well look and I think that it also it also leads to him taking shortcuts on certain things like um and we'll talk about this when we get to Guardians 2 which again I think is is a, is a great example of the novelty wearing off um because mm-hmm. I think that that movie's pretty lackluster um but the the, the whole Yondu as a father figure for Peter Right. Um, that's another thing I was going to bring up. It's something that's just so underbaked in that movie. And also, you're supposed to be getting the groundwork for that in this movie, but it's it's just not there. I mean, you know, Yondu is, is chasing Quill throughout the movie in a way that that that's like a bounty hunter, like a bounty hunter chasing like, a guy. Like threatening to eat him and stuff, too? Like Yeah. Yeah, like it doesn't... There's no... There's no fatherly figure... There's no father-son relationship communicated in this movie at all. Yeah. Between those two. Yeah. Um, whereas in the second movie, you're supposed to believe that this is the way it's always been. Yes. And I I'm, I just don't buy it. Like, yeah. it doesn't... The payoff is not earned in that movie for at I, all. And and to, to go further, even, um, and I don't know if you've... I don't remember if, if you and I have talked about this, but... You remember at the end of Avengers Infinity War, uh, where Groot uh, ends up vaporizing because of the snap, uh-huh. um, he says something to Rocket as he's dying, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, James Gunn says he said goodbye, Dad. Oh, that's right. And I'm like, no, come on, man. This never, this never has been the relationship between these two. Yeah, this and, is never. And, and also, it yeah, you can't just like inject that when it's not in the movie. Like it's it's off, right. it's happening off screen in your head. Like he's it's it's very much like a um like a retrofitting, like a retcon, like 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 being able to retcon anything that he wants. It's very odd. Yeah, I don't quite understand. Because look, I don't mind. The Groot and Rocket stuff, if but it's got to be clearly communicated. Like you have to have made me believe that in the movie, because otherwise I don't. Like I mean, the the whole this is a different Groot thing. Like that that is zero percent communicated, and no one left the theater that day thinking that was a a new yeah. being. It was baby and, Groot. It was just like a a a, a you know a. Uh, like, well, like it's like when you cut off a branch from a, a tree and then plant it and it grows again. Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, because. Yeah. Because there's been plenty of times where, um, like even in this movie and then notably in, in Endgame where like he's able to cut off parts of himself and then replace them. So it just look. I, yeah. I, I, it's, I was going to move on from to something else. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask if if you felt the same way as I did, and maybe, and I think you may like it, and I may have liked it more than I did. But like outside of like the banter and the characterizations, did you find do you find it a little by the numbers? Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's you know it's it's out there enough <clears throat> that um you know that stuff didn't bother me as much, um just because it. 
you know, and, and I think this this did get a lot of uh, Star Wars comparison at the time, but it's it's so lived in, um, and immediately kind of inhabited uh, in a realistic fashion that I I think that that it being by the numbers doesn't really bother me as much. Okay. Um, you know, I can see how it would, but. You know, especially looking back on it, but at the time, uh, and even rewatching it now, to me, it's so well put together, um, in its like aesthetic and the the tone that it doesn't. You know, I, I don't really care that it's just kind of the same old thing. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think the thing that it's trying to get across more so than anything else is that it's a team of misfits. Right? It's not. Right. It's not exactly like. You know, what you see, I mean, with the Suicide Squad or something like that, where it's trying to be like somewhat evil people, you know, they're all, you know, deeply flawed characters. And I think that that does help band them together a little bit. Um, and, and again, I think if you don't have such magnetic characters um, that, that really work, like I said, again, Rocket being the big emotional center that really does work, um, and then... Um, and, and then Peter, um, you know, you have a recipe for, for stuff that's, you know, over, overall pretty, pretty good, even if I found, you know, that last sort of battle to be, um, you know, just kind of average. Spare me your foul gaze, woman. Why is this one here? We promised him he could stay by your side until he kills your boss. I always keep my promises when they're to muscle down. Whack jobs will kill me if I don't. Here you go. Oh, I was just kidding about the leg. I just need these two things. What? No, I, I thought it'd be funny. Was it funny? No, wait, what did he look like hopping around? I had to transfer him 30,000 units. How are we gonna leave? Well, he's got a plan, right? Or is that another thing you made up? I have a plan, I have a plan. Since you're yammering and relieve us from this arch and confinement. Yeah, I'll have to agree with the walking thesaurus on that one. Do not ever call me a thesaurus. It's just a metaphor, dude. His people are completely literal. Metaphors are gonna go over his head. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the game. So last episode with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, we talked about the films that this uh, that came out the same year as 2014. So we kind of covered all the bases, but there are a couple more I wanted to bring up. Uh, and they're a little kind of uh, less uh, one's kind of uh, out there and the other one's kind of a, a, a wet fart of a of a whimper. Um, the first one is a Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. Ooh. Um, which I don't know. Did you ever see that one? I didn't. No. Did you see the first Sin City? Yes. I was not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, of course, uh, the adaptation of a Frank Miller comic book. Um, based on, uh, I'm sorry, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, who I don't have a, a lot of love for. Um, as a filmmaker, I feel he's kind of squandered his talent, so to speak. Um, you know, I don't really know how how <laughs> you know how how good he was a filmmaker to begin with. Um, but this is a very, this is kind of notoriously all shot on green screen um, to very varying degrees of success. So the first film, uh, the first Sin City film came out in 2005. And I remember being a big like cultural hit. Um, yeah, I remember it's cultural um, like standing more so than I do the movie itself. Yeah, it was uh, made for 40 million, made 160 million. Um, it had... Uh, had Jessica Alba, Benicio del Toro, Brittany Murphy, Clive Owen, Mickey Rourke, Bruce Willis, Elijah Wood. Uh, had roles from uh, with uh, Alexis Bledel, Michael Clark Duncan, Rosario Dawson, Carlo Gino, Rutger Hauer, Michael Madsen, uh, Nick Stahl, Mackenzie Vega. Um, and I think this is, uh, I believe this is the movie that, that let, led to uh, Robert Rodriguez leaving the DGA because he insisted on Frank Miller being a co-director who Frank Miller is kind of a crazy person. If you don't know, um, comic book writer and artist. Um, then, uh, this was, uh, Sin City, a Dame to kill for is the sequel that came out nine years later. 
um, replaced, um, I think it, it, uh, replaced Clive Owen with Josh Brolin. That sounds right. Um, and like tried to make him up to look like Clive Owen. Look, this is a bad movie. It's a very bad movie. I don't remember anything about it other than it's very bad. And it, it too has a very interesting cast, but pr- probably a little more in, um, in the weird realm. Cause it, ha- it also has Jessica Alba, Mickey Rourke, again, Josh Brolin, uh, Bruce Willis, Rosario Dawson, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Then you get into weirder stuff like, um, Jeremy Piven, <laughs> <laughs> um, Christopher Maloney, uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Ray Liotta and, uh, Juno Temple, um, yeah, it's just a bad movie, man. It's just a bad... Oh, Lady Gaga is in it. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Alexa Vega, of course, from Spy Kids. Um, you've got Powers Booth. You've got Dennis Haysbert. Um, who's who? A who's who cast. <laughs> of like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Um, yeah, and then... Uh, look, it's, it's a bad movie. Um, but then another comic book adjacent movie i want to talk about and a very meta sort of meta comic book movie is birdman Hmm. not really a com i mean in it's in and of itself not a comic book movie at all like a superhero movie kind of yeah not a superhero movie at all but informed by the idea that the character that michael keaton is playing um was famous for uh playing a, a comic book character called a superhero called Birdman. Riggan Thompson is his name. Um, and he's kind of, that's kind of hanging over his head and his like psyche mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing, like almost and like materializes at certain points. Um, this is a film that was, um, Directed by Alexander, <laughs> Alexander Alejandro <laughs> Inarritu, um, best picture winner. Yes, in twenty fourteen, uh, also best uh, director mm-hmm. for Inarritu, who won. That was his first of two in a row. Best screenplay, best cinematography. Yeah, cinematography um, was also uh, the like allegedly one take. You know, made to look like one take. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar nominations also for Michael Keaton and uh, Emma Stone. By the way, Keaton got completely fucking robbed. Who won that year? I don't remember. Eddie Redmayne. Oh fuck yeah! For uh, the Hawking movie. Yeah. God damn it! Yeah, he did. Uh, Keaton got really robbed. Um, but this is um, it's an interesting take on this for me because it doesn't really feel like it. Um, you know, I I don't assume that this is autobiographical for. Michael Keaton. No, especially in recent years, how he's he seems to really embrace playing Batman and is, is even doing it again coming up in the new Flash movie. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting take on on sort of uh, superhero cinema, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, you know, biting commentary about it um, and in um, the dialogue as well as... Um, like, like there's there's a scene where Zach Galifianakis, who plays his, like, manager, is... Um, is like like making some sort of comment about Jeremy uh, uh, Jeremy Renner uh, being an Avenger or something like that, and and there's like a lot of like press conversations where people are constantly asking him when he's going to do another Birdman movie and stuff. Um, yeah, I I freaking love that movie so much, and you know the fact that it's a Best Picture winner, it is a very strange movie. I don't know yeah. how how recently you've watched it, but it is an odd, odd movie. Uh, the last time I watched it was um, in San Antonio with um, oh, you were at the drummer with screen? Antonio Sanchez. Shit, that um, was so cool. Playing like, were you there? I can't yeah, remember. Were, I was there. Okay, yeah, you were. The, uh, Kiko was there too, right? Or no? I don't know that he went. I was definitely there. It was. Yeah, incredible. it was at the state or the Empire Theater. Yeah, yeah. No, that was awesome. Um, and then he like did a like a five minute solo at, once the movie wrapped up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the last time I saw it. Um, yeah, it's very. Uh, it is very strange. I'm not a big fan of the ending. Yeah, it's a little um, ambiguous. And there's. There's some real ham-handed uh, uh, critic bashing in it too, mm-hmm. um, but I, I mean I, I think it's a great movie. I mean it's so 
bizarre and strange. And then the, the scenes between, um, with Keaton and, uh, Edward Norton are bonkers good. Yeah. And, uh, and Emma Stone's really great in it. Um, and I even, Zach Galifianakis is even really great. And there's some other, uh, like this, God, the scene where the, the light hits the guy in the head is so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so those, that's what it was up against. Uh, and you know, this doesn't really count, but you know, it's, it's superhero adjacent. And, yeah, we'll count it. Yeah. <laughs> and Quill, your ship is filthy. Oh, she has no idea. If I had a black light, the place would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. You got issues, Quill. So to wrap this up, um, Let's uh, talk about a couple things. Cody, where does this movie kind of rest for you in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You know, I think that when it's all when it all shakes out and it's all said and done, it will be mid to upper mid tier. Um, I, I, I don't I probably wouldn't put it in my top 10 or maybe on the very end of the top 10. There's what, 30 something no, there's like 23 now. Oh, I thought we were more than that. I believe we're at 23. Shit, I don't even know. Um, I'll look that up. Hold on, let, let, I'm, I'll look it up right now. Go ahead and keep talking. Uh, so. so, so it it definitely uh, there's 23. So um, yeah, okay. It would it would probably be like towards the very bottom of my top 10, if not you know in the top 15. Um, uh, well, I guess it would be with the numbers shaking. That's pretty out, low, yeah. It would probably be in the in like the nine to ten region. Then I would probably say is safe. Um, I, you know, watching it again, it holds up in a way that I think the humor works. I think the characterizations work. Uh, Rocket is a great character that that um, that I think continues to evolve and in, in, in um, and be good. Um, I, I think he's. I think he's got some great, great stuff in Endgame. He does. He absolutely does. Um, it, it's as does, um, uh, um, oh God, um, N- uh, Nebula. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Nebula has some great stuff in Endgame, um, and uh, and uh, and I think you get some good um, potential. And I think we're going to see this a little bit in um, in the next Thor movie with uh, with uh, Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth together, mm-hmm. um, I think is going to kind of pay off and you see it pay off a little bit. And I think infinity war, right? The very first, yeah. When they first, yeah, the very beginning of infinity war. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's good. It's above average because it's, it's a good risk. It's a big swing. And I think for the most part, it, it it's a, it pays off. Yeah. I think, um, it would probably be in my top 10, pretty easy looking at this list. You know, there's not a lot um, between um, this movie and, let's say, um, well, you know, let's say Spider-Man: Far From Home. That's that's really kind of rises above that. I think I can count like one, two, three, four, five that maybe are better, the, or maybe not better, but it like is that I legit enjoyed. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a little too to uh into the weeds here on this Um, i'm counting right now and i mean there's at least nine movies i can definitively say i like more than this one okay well that's fair i yeah 15 seems low but um yeah no i think it's um i mean just if i had to guess i'd say it's in my top 10 now i really have to go over it um i still think like i mentioned last episode captain america the winter soldier i still think that's top tier for me whether that's one, number one, I'm still trying to figure out, but I think right now it's safe to say it's number one for me. Interesting. Um, yeah. So and so also this, um, of course, has a stinger, and keeping in the theme of it being entirely self-contained. Um, you know, in case Marvel needed to just leave this free floating wherever they found it. Um, this. Uh, this stinger is a um, callback to the collector's layer that's been trashed by um, Thano. I mean, uh, Ronan's goons, and you get a uh, one-liner from Howard the Duck. Yes, as voiced by Seth Green. Um, Howard the Duck famously, uh, in or infamously, had his own film. <laughs> 
uh, from uh, Lucasfilm in the 80s, which is a very... Um, look, I remember watching it as a kid, and I remember enjoying it. Um, if I went back to see it now, I don't know what I would think of it. Um, Sorry, I, 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 my headphone thing popped out. What did no, you no. say? You said oh, I said uh, this is famously. Uh, um, he famously started a movie in the eighties from Lucasfilm. Oh, Howard the Duck, yeah, yeah, that featured uh, Leah Thompson and I, uh, Tim Robbins. I've seen that within the last five years. Oh, really? I haven't seen it in a long time. It's super horny. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's du- there are duck boobs in it. <laughs> Like bare, like feathered nipple duck boobs. Yeah. Um, well, by the way, the collector stuff is. Um, we didn't mention this, but I want to talk about it like real quick. Um, when we were talking about um, uh, Captain America: uh, Winter Soldier, is that the Russo brothers sneak in a bunch of characters that they've worked with on Community and Rest of Development. Uh-huh. So like Danny Pudi is in is in. Um, Winter Soldier in a very small right. role. Um, and later, I don't know if you ever noticed this, we're talking about Arrested Development references. I think in Captain America Civil War, I believe. Yes. In, You're talking there, about the, the, the car? No. Uh, oh. There is the stair car in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but there is, I, I believe in Captain America Civil so, or may, may even be in Guardians, there is some Easter egg where one of the things that collector has in his um in one of his like containers is oh yes yes yeah i know what you're talking about is is tobias david cross's character in his blue man group yeah full body painting with cut off shorts <laughs> yeah i do believe that's in uh, guardians okay yeah what? yeah cuz i i don't think the collector is in civil war is he well i don't know i was just trying to think of something cuz it's usually in the things that the russo brothers direct oh yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but but maybe it is in Guardians. I, I forget where he is, but but he's one of the collector's items is uh, Tobias as blue the uh, when he blew himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. I also want to add that um, as I mentioned, the ride at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's a Disney California Adventure technically. Um, the ride is a fucking blast. Oh, and it is. Look, I don't know how it's going to age, frankly. Um, but it's a better sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy than Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is, hmm. which is, oh, I mean, it, obviously it's short and, and whatever, but it's so much fun and it has like the real actors. I think I showed you, um, the, the terrible, uh, Fast and Furious thing at yes. Universal Studios where it's just Vin Diesel couldn't like, could not give a shit. Um, this has... You know, Pratt and uh, Zoe Saldana and, and um, you know, the voices of, of Vin Diesel and his Bautista and uh, Bradley Cooper. And it's so well done that it, it's it's a really enjoyable little slice of Guardians. Like, and, it you know, it's it's clearly set after the first film. Um, so if you ever get a chance, I, I would say give it a give it a whirl if you're ever in uh, Disney California Adventure. Because it was way more enjoyable than uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. He says he's an a-hole, but he's not, and I'm quoting him here, 100% a dick. Do you believe him? I don't know that I believe anyone's 100% a dick, man. I mean, do you believe that he's here to help? Okay, next up, we have uh, a movie movie I think uh, you and I have been trying to talk about for a while we've dropped a lot of hints at it um avengers age of ultron the uh penultimate episode the penultimate installment of phase three or phase two which makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't get it but okay uh because ant-man is um like the the final one ant-man's the chaser for some reason yeah this is a movie this is what this phase two has been leading up to Frankly, Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't really figure into it, but uh, you get the culmination of Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, and Captain America the Winter Soldier uh, with uh, less than successful results, let's just say, as a teaser. Mm -hmm. So anything else on Guardians before we uh, wrap this bad boy up? No, I think that, um, you uh, 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 you know, like I said before, I, I think that 
every you know there's a lot of things that make it really have a signature to it but the story beats itself feel a little bit generic and i think like i said the novelty starts to wear off in volume two um and then it becomes a little bit you know i think it falls prey to like that's the sort of like sequelitis where they can't quite capture the same thing in a bottle um and so i'll be interested to see um i have not seen that since theaters so i'm interested to revisit And, and actually the, the, there's a lot of phase three stuff that I've only seen once. So um, as we move into this stuff, like the next movie we talk about age of Ultron, I've only seen once. So um, it'll be interesting to, from here on out. Cause I think we've, we're, we're you know, other than like infinity war and civil war uh, and, and maybe Dr. Strange, which I think I've seen twice. Um, I've only seen a lot of these movies once. So I, I only saw Dr. Strange once. I'm really looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah. I, um, I remember I went to like a, uh, they held a preview screening uh-huh. of like 15 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah. It was very strange. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So if you want to listen to us uh, on our other shows, we have uh, the Cinestom podcast, which we do every week, uh, reviewing uh, new release films. Of course, in this quarantine era, that is uh, VOD stuff. Um, you can listen to us uh, and watch us every week. Uh, that's Cody and I and uh, our co-host Jocelyn Durand. Uh, you can also listen to Quarren Stream. We got a bunch of episodes of that out. Who knows what the future of that is? Um, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast@cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook cinesnobnet. Cody, uh, anything else? Oh yeah, the ramble. Yeah, you can find me the ramble if you're into comic book stuff and and nerdery. Uh, you can find me um, on the if you just look up the ramble with Jerry Rocha uh, and Eddie Pence, you can find uh, that podcast. It's four days a week, so lots of content. You're the one that doesn't know about comic books. There, yeah, I'm the one who bullies them for being fucking nerds, <laughs> as well. It should be. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, on that note, I'm Jared Kingery, and I'm Cody Viafani. <laughs>